Welcome to the Food and Faith Podcast, conversations from the soil and around the table with your co-hosts, Anna Wolfenden and Sam Chamlin. We're glad to be bringing you our next installment in our Ecotones of the Spirit series. Our conversation today is with Victoria Lures, who is a Wild Church pastor in Bellingham, Washington, and the convener for the Wild Church Network. The Wild Church Network is an emerging movement of churches from the Christ tradition who worship outside of buildings, connecting directly with the holy in and through the natural world. Victoria also is the guide and co-founder of the Seminary of the Wild, a Wild Church training program, and the director of the Sacred Ground Initiative, a network and container for an emerging movement of spiritual ecological practitioners. We are thrilled to be having a conversation with Victoria today. She has been leading Wild Church sessions here at Ecotones of the Spirit, and we're glad to steal her away for a, for a conversation with all of you. We are pleased to be joined this evening. We don't do a lot of night podcasts. We are pleased to be joined this evening by v- Victoria Lures of Church of the Wild and the Church of the Wild Network. Um, and I was sharing before I hit record um, that uh, my first introduction to Church of the Wild was he was actually being here at Warren, Warren Wilson College for Bread in the Wilderness, um, the intensive in 2016, if I remember correct. Um, and I remember just this guy was leading worship, talking about doing church outdoors all the time. And I was like, that sounds like a really odd idea, but a really intriguing one. Um, and so I've been following Steve for a little while, um, but I'm so excited uh, to hear a little bit more about how... Um, one church or a group of churches has blossomed into a network of support um, for one another and collaboration. Um, and so, Victoria, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I know it's been a long day, so thanks for making some time here this no evening worries. to talk about Church of the Wild Network. Happy. And we're going to start how we always start these interviews, um, which is to ask about your geography. What okay. is the land that shapes you? And also, maybe, what are some of the ways that land has shaped the Wild Church Network? I think this is a question that could be particularly, or, yeah. or it's always appropriate because it's very evident its appropriateness um, in your work. Yeah, there's so many entries to answer that question. We just did a wild church today and um, said, I said, I used part of Steve's um, liturgy that I adapted a bit and then I did mostly what I do and said that, you know, the it, it, church, how we do wild church depends on who we are and where we are. Mm-hmm. So it's all in relationship with the particular land. And um, so, let's see, I moved to Bellingham, Washington just like nine months ago. And before that I was in Ojai, California. Um, was evacuated with the Thomas Fire a couple years ago. Our sanctuary was completely leveled. Mm-hmm. Um, but my son lives up in Washington, and, and really that landscape um, deeply calls to me. You know, there's certain landscapes that are home, yeah. and you can't really explain it. It's not where I grew up. I went to high school near where, near Ojai, and so you'd think that that would be more my, my place. But there's something about every time I've been to the Pacific Northwest, it just felt like home. Mm-hmm. And so once my kids were launched, and my son actually lives up in um, Olympia, Washington, so it was kind of a move to the trees. It was a move Mm -hmm. because of the land. Um, And it was like I moved away from my mom that was hard. I moved away from my community, the first church I had started. Um, Moved away from friends, but I knew I needed a time that was, I needed to walk out my front door 
and be in the forest. Mm-hmm. Like just getting in the car for five minutes is a it's discouragement. A much, yeah. yeah, for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so it's it's I'm five minutes from the bay. Mm-hmm. I've been watching these these great blue heron, mm-hmm. um, you know, heronry build their nests on the oh, top of these trees. Those are amazing. They're so amazing. <laughs> it's like these pterodactyls that come down. Yes. <laughs> but I've been watching them from the moment they, you know, built the nests, and now, and I was bummed because I missed them flying away because I'm here. Oh. But the babies oh. were on the edge of the nest for, you know, the last three days that I was that I was home. And then I can walk walk the other direction. I'm deep in a forest called the Hundred Acre Wood, and I can get in my car four minutes and be at a state park. That's so it's uh, and then you can drive forty five minutes and you're in the mountains, yeah. um, like one of those p- picturesque glacial um, mountain areas. That so it's the that land just makes me alive. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm gonna let the two of you do Washington for like oh, half hour. I know we did Washington over, I think, lunch or breakfast. You know? okay. <laughs> I'm just I'm drooling as you're describing yeah. my my uh, heart home and my childhood home landscape, oh, okay. Northwest Washington. So, um, yeah, the herons and the water and the trees yeah. and and there's deer in my front yard all yeah. the time and. Yeah. yeah, there is something about that landscape. I remember I went out to Oregon. I went out to Portland. And in the middle of what was pretty much a panic attack, just went down the Columbia River Gorge. Like, I just needed to go somewhere just to not be in my hotel room. Yeah. And honest to goodness, God spoke to me in that place. It's Absolutely. it's a remarkable... So, yeah, I'm I'm not from there. I'm not of there. But, man, oh, man, I'd like to go back there. Yeah, <laughs> That's for sure. It's definitely magical. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So tell us a little bit about um, Wild Church in Ojai and Wild Church mm-hmm. in Bellingham and um, your faith thread of how did you... Yeah, how far back you want me to start? <laughs> as far back as you want to go. Every, it's yeah. like my friend says, um, a poem takes 20 years and 20 minutes to write. Mm-hmm. Yes. So yes. Um, I guess my story with Church of Wild really begins 25 years ago. I worked with World Vision mm-hmm. in uh, after seminary and um, wrote um, papers and white papers around different issues that, that the organization needed to focus on. Um, and so the whole time I was pregnant with my oldest child, I was writing a paper on, um, or a, a kit for the evangelical church called Let the Earth Be Glad. Mm. And so it was using language and concepts and biblical stories and whatever to get evangelical churches to to realize that this isn't a political issue. Right. Which even then it was. Yeah. In some ways, well, yeah. Yeah. It's um, <laughs> another podcast. That's another, yeah, we'll do that later. Um, so, um, so that was my my first dive. So my first engagement with this is kind of different than I think most people um, was from a theological perspective. Yeah. So I really didn't consider myself an environmentalist and you know, didn't dislike the outdoors. It just wasn't a big part of my life leading up to that. Um, and then I uh, sort of fast forward to when my son grew and he was 12 years old and I showed him Inconvenient Truth. Mm-hmm. And I had already put away all of my books and all of my environmental stuff. And like, I'll never go back to this because I was a stay-at-home mom for a while. And um, when he saw Inconvenient Truth, he was blown away mm-hmm. at 12. And he 
went to school the next day and was talking to his friends like we're going to stop global warming and his and sort of that ignited something in him and I was at a point in I was doing consulting at the time I had left the church pretty much um, was just doing some marketing consulting and um, found myself at a place even as a single mom where it's like I need to support this kid's passion mm-hmm. and so we started a nonprofit called originally called Kids Versus Global Warming. Mm-hmm. And uh, he started speaking to schools and then universities and then Congress and then the UN. And so ended up speaking over mm-hmm. almost a million people over the next ten, you know, eight years. Wow. Quit school by eighth grade. And we were traveling all through his high school, like two weeks out of every month. And, wow. Um, and so then I would do sort of the organizing um, and fundraising and stuff, and he was the spokesperson. So we did lawsuits, we did um, you know youth marches and all over the world, and 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 so it's kind of like when I wrote the Let the Earth Be Glad, it was kind of like asking churches to bring the outdoors in mm-hmm. and to include nature in their worship services, and um, and then with with the investing in the environmental movement was there was nothing really spiritual about it it was just sort of this activism and I could sense there was some something missing in both of those Mm -hmm. and um, after my son went to college and we found a new executive director for the organization it's still thriving Mm -hmm. Um, there there was this time where I went back into the church into just an indoor church. But every time I preach as an associate pastor, it would be something around, I was just wrestling with this, mm-hmm. with this integration. And, um, you know, is everything from God is, a, is, is more of a verb than a noun and um, all kinds of stuff that I will share in a minute. But fine, and, and I've always, in the church, I've always been one to question everything and, and want to work at churches that want to deconstruct and figure out why, do, why are we inside? Why are we all face the forward? Why does one person get to share their ideas? Um, Good question. <laughs> <laughs> and most churches, you know, want to do that a little bit. They think they want to do it a lot, but I, so I was always kind of frustrated. And um, Finally, when I left this church, after I'd been talking about this for about two years and exploring it, um, about 25 people came around me and said, that church you've been talking about, about meeting outside? So this is like in 2015. Um, You should do that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, no, I'm just making this up. This isn't a real (laughs) thing. And and so I'm like, all right, everybody get together. Let's just talk about what this could be. And... I'm not ready to do something else. And finally, a friend of mine came to me and said, Vic, you gotta, you gotta stop being so feminine. You know, so, so don't go so feminine on me, is what he said. He's like, and what he meant is like, own this, like just do yeah. it. There's a, you have a vision, just step into it. And, and so we did, it was, um, uh, I originally called it the conversation, Oh, High Church of the Wild, mm-hmm. because the pivotal moment for me, um, again theologically was when I um, discovered that up until the fourth century the primary way of um, translating John 1 1 through 4 the word logos 
was with a Latin word that meant conversation. Mm. And it wasn't until it became kind of a political issue by the um, Council of Nicaea that word was decided upon. And Augustine even changed his mind with, within his, you know, later mm-hmm. in his life. Like, no, you know what, that, that conversation thing, that's a little bit too open. And that's let's, risky. <laughs> let's, let's stick with word where we can control this one word that Jesus is. And, um, and then Erasmus, which is a, who's a contemporary of um, Martin Luther, he was the first person since, this is me nerding out, sorry. Bring it on. <laughs> I love it. He was the yeah. first person since the Vulgate to even look at the original documents and all of his translations. And he was like this super scholastic, refused to take money from academics or from patrons. And um, every one of his 25 translations used the word meaning conversation, mm-hmm. not not word and then the council of trent right after he died was like Uh no way with that (laughs) and burned all of his copies and said vulgate only and what's interesting is it's never really you know there's no translations that that use this um but think about just listen to how it changes everything and think about it in terms of like quantum physics who's discovered that at the center of everything is not a noun it's a verb. It's it's a huh. it's a conversation. It's an exchange. It's, an exchange. Yeah. it's a relationship, mm-hmm. and the, that connecting all things is a relationship. Oh. And so when you think about it in that way, like in the beginning was the conversation, oh. and the conversation was with God, and oh. the conversation was God. Was yeah, God. that'll preach. <laughs> I mean, that blew my. It's yeah. just like it wow. blew the whole worldview, and it's like okay, that this is the core of it. And so learning a conversation, you know, so if we believe that Christ is in and uh, imbued in all things, you know, it's kind of moving from that transcendence of God into the imminence of God and, and that Christ is in all things and like taking that seriously, that the, that the Christ who is in you is, is having a conversation with the Christ in me mm-hmm. and that that interaction is God, mm-hmm. is an experience of God. And if all things isn't just all people, and it specifically does not say all people, right? Then that then having a conversation with trees and and brother and sister creatures that most indigenous uh, earth-based religions had zero problem with, right? And you know our more Western empire colonizing religions did have a problem with. Yes. Um, you know it's kind of like. It's reclaiming something I think is important to our Judeo-Christian heritage. So I don't feel like it's, I feel like it's a reformation. I feel like it's a reconnection with with who we are rather than like, oh, this is a trendy new, like spiritual but not religious. We're reaching out to Yeah, kind of a boutique church idea. Right, right. Yeah, we just go outside. Right, we go outside. Isn't that cool? You guys can have drums and, you know. Right. Or the cultural appropriation of indigenous peoples. Exactly. Right. But right. it's really identifying with our own with wow. our own heritage and our own um, indigeneity, yeah. which we all have if yes. we go back far enough. You know, yeah. like native indigenous people have, were were not cut off, even though they we tried, um, but they've been able to reclaim it much easier. Um, a lot of us who have whose families and whose um, you know have been within the colonized um, Christianity for generations are more cut off from it, but it's um, but it's still part of our 
heritage. Yeah. Will you dig a little deeper with that? Because I think something that's come up a lot in our conversations um, at this gathering has been about like heritage and where you come from and belonging and the land you belong to. And I know that um, a number of different conversations I and others have expressed for those of us who are, you know, European descent and and have like a part of this Christian trajectory that and are like white Americans today, right. <laughs> you know, struggle to find what does that even mean? Yeah. And something's just really awakened in me hearing you give um, permission or invitation to find that depth of connection with nature, connection with with a an ingenuity mm-hmm. within as a white Anglo American now, mm-hmm. <laughs> right, mm-hmm. right, and um, there's a lot of ways to approach that. But the first thing that that jumped into my mind is um, is a story that a friend of mine told me. So um, she lives in Seattle. And she and her husband really worked to restore this little forest in the middle of Seattle and felt deeply, I mean, it was 10 years and had a deep connection with this forest. And then she was walking with an indigenous friend of hers and, um, and all of a sudden they stopped and the friend like just stopped and picked up this little piece of like lichen and like chewed on it and she could hear the trees talking to her. And my friend's like, oh my God, I've, I've, I feel like this is my forest and I don't have any right to say that I can I can't hear the trees like that like I don't have any right and she felt just like sort of that white guilt yeah um, that you're talking about and she talked to um, uh, a native um, mentor of hers Randy Woodley and and t- and shared with this and he said to her he listened you know like they do with their kind um, trickster, you know, energy. <laughs> and he said, well, do you ask permission? Mm. And she's like, what? <laughs> and, and that's all, and that's all he said. He's like, you know, this isn't our land. This isn't, it's, mm. just, it's just not your land, you know? It's just, it's, the land is the land. And, and asking permission, we all belong, you know? And so I think there is a way for all of us where we are to deeply connect with our watershed as spiritual practice and as authentic love and authentic kin, kindred kind of um, relationship. And, and like it was an awakening to just understand like my background, my, uh, both sides of my family are pretty much all from Scotland and Ireland. And so that Celtic, you know, so that's sort of more in our culture than, say, you know, an Eastern European. Yeah. Um, but my sister, in fact, is at the airport right now heading to Iona mm-hmm. in Scotland. And she's going to the board meeting with John Philip Newell sure. um, to present Wild Churches as um, something that totally resonates with what the work that John Philip Newell is doing. And so she's going to visit like some ancestral lands and some ancestral places. So her wild church, she has a wild church in Virginia. Hers is very Celtic-y, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and, and she's found a lot of, uh, you know, that ancestral connection has been important for her. Um, so I'm not suggesting everybody has to do that, but I yeah. think just 
just it's sort of a way of addressing that appropriation right uh, and another way we um, encourage each other is um, a way to not be appropriating is um, a couple things one most of the people that come to most of the wild churches or not even most but like half the people often aren't Christian right and and we don't and we don't need to I think there's one of all the churches that sort of try to include a bunch of different, you know, sort of Unitarian-ish. Um, but most of us, like, what I say is just like, in my tradition, there's a story of, you know, a father and two sons. And so it's, then it's not off-putting for the people who are, are left church on purpose, and it's also recognizable for the people who, who didn't. Yeah, and um, and that's being honest about you yeah, and your tradition. Yeah, yeah. and I yeah. don't try. Like, there's another uh, wild church in Wheeling, West Virginia, out of Catholic Worker, mm-hmm. and um, a lot of their friends are um, are Hare Krishna, huh. and so like forty percent of the church are people from Hare Krishna tradition, and so like they met last Advent in a cow sanctuary. Like, oh, yeah. how cool is that? That's amazing. That is cool. <laughs> but their their mass is full-on Catholic mass there's like no difference yeah. yeah and um but but they'll invite their um their friends to bring in their stories you know but they don't try to pretend that they know so I'm not going to bring in stories from yeah. other cultures including indigenous cultures that yeah. I don't know but if um but if there's a like there's an indigenous elder that took over Church of the Wild in Ojai where I started it um a Chumash elder and so inviting her to share the stories, which are very personal, and like, this is the tree that my grandmother played in after school, you mm. know, that we would meet under. Um, so it's, it, it's all about relationship again, right? right? And so it's, I invited her to be part of our um, Ash Wednesday service after the big Thomas mm-hmm. fire. So Ash Wednesday was like um, two months after the fire was out. Mm. And there had been a lot of... Um, fundraisers and memorials and stuff for the people that were and the people in the property that were affected by the fires but no talk in any of the articles about all of the millions and millions of creatures that had lost their lives in yeah. terror I mean yeah. it was terrifying yeah and um, you know it was sort of this rhetoric of well the land will re- restore which mm. isn't untrue it's just not being honored yeah. and so our service was really the first, at least the first, if not the only one, that that honored um, the the creatures and the yeah. trees that you know the manzanitas won't come back. The oak trees that were closer in will recover. Yeah, they kind of like that, but the oak trees out there where it was, you know, it went. They said it, it went like um, a mile every like second. Mm. Like, that's how fast that's the fire insane. was. It's like nothing survived yeah. at all. Yeah. The manzanita trees were like a, a hole in the ground of black char. Ugh. And every week after that, we'd find bones of creatures and, and bury them at the end of our service. It was, Ugh. And we had a liturgy which, um, uh, you know, we just named not even a fraction of the creatures and species that were lost. Wow. And, pro- and may not recover because of the drought. Yeah. Um, so we invited Julie Tumamai Stensley, who's the really the elder in that in that whole region, who goes and checks out places where there's new building to see if it's a burial site and stuff like that. 
And she just really resonated with, which was, I was a little nervous, like, oh, is this going to be appropriation to her? But it wasn't at all. She was just really loved it. And so she kept coming as just like, she started to call it her church. And then when I moved, um, I asked her if she would take over the spiritual wow. leadership of it. And she said yes. And it also helped the others within the church to step up. Um, cause, you know, Like most new churches, the pastor kind of carries it the first few years. Yeah. Um, so me leaving was actually a way for those people to step up and, and carry the church. Yeah. So. I'm reflecting, um, I'm just wondering how you feel about this. We've had multiple conversations today about, um, in this place, how we emphasize contemplative practices and liturgy and those kind of things. And what I hear when you say it is the power to just name a thing what it is. Yeah. You know, to say that death has happened, not just for human communities, but for all communities. Mm -hmm. um, that, and, 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 and to just name that is is a radical act. Yeah. It's, it, it is it is something. Maybe I don't mean to speak ill of other churches, but no other church actually bothered to say the names of creatures who had passed away. Yeah, right. And so I'm I'm reflecting on Church of the Wild as a place where that kind of liturgy to name a larger reality, mm -hmm. to name larger truths, is. Is a prof it, it's a very prophetic step, it feels to yeah, me. Yeah, it feels that's part of that Reformation piece. Because another piece that's kind of a best practice is naming the watershed, naming the peoples who, um, mm -hmm. who's on whose unceded land we are meeting or seated. Um, and naming, like when I led the Wild Church today, you know, naming that there were um, 600 slaves here by mm -hmm. 1860, and the and the rhetoric in you know there was an article that just came out last year that was like um, in this region saying that um, you know there was like a mythology of like well there's no plantations here up in the mountains in mm. Asheville, so there were no slaves we don't have to deal with that mm. and it, and it's not true mm -hmm. and so naming that and naming the unnamed people who who the rocks remember you know yeah. and and just having that be part of the um, of the of the practice of this that it's it's a you know it's true religion religios reconnection you yeah. know with the land with the peoples you know and it's very interspiritual so it's even you know it's not pretending we're for everybody it's owning who we are as Christians and yet yeah. you know I think that's a reformation it's like yeah. you know the us versus them yeah, I won't go into it, but you guys it's, get it. You're nodding your heads. <laughs> it's had its time. Right. Yeah. yeah. And the contemplation, uh, the contemplative practice is an uh, integral part of just about every wild church. Like, for me, it's 45 minutes of solo wandering mm. is the center of the service. And so it's the, a long time. It's a long time. Yeah. And it's, the, you know, the blue jays and the trees and the clouds are the yeah. creatures. And then people come back and share their experience in kind of like council. And so it's not just the one person's story yeah. from the front. And it's, um, and the first time, it's funny, because I didn't really explain all this stuff the first time I held a Church of the Wild. I was just like, go talk to a rock for, you know, a tree for 20 minutes. Everyone's <laughs> like, are you kidding me? I, I, said, I, I feel like it's a hard sell. Everyone's <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, we trust you. <laughs> and everyone came back to the circle saying, we need more time next time. Wow. Wow. Even without the like, right. clear yeah. explanation. Right. Yeah. Could you walk us through, I mean, I know each wild church is different, but 
like if we came to Wild Church in Bellingham, like from when we got off our bike or out mm-hmm. of our car or whatever, like we'll just walk like us through the do. experience. Yeah. Yeah, and there is a, a diversity. You know, yes, some of churches are more liturgical and adapt the, the Episcopal liturgy or the Catholic liturgy. Some don't even adapt it, they just meet outside and work it from there. Some are very activist oriented. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that a lot of people have a format like mine that I thought I made up, you know. Or I, <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of people, I just was, we had our first Wild Church pastor gathering last week. And so we're sharing, and, we're, and we know that because we've been meeting together, like I mentioned to you. Um, we've been meeting together three years online. Yeah. Um, and, and all of us just once a month on Zoom, and we just kind of share where we're at. And, and most people come in going, wait, I thought I was the only one doing this. Yeah. You know, like th- Steve thought he was the only one doing it. I thought I was the only one doing it, you know. And so now there's more people who are hearing about us that are starting, but it's a work of the Spirit. Yes. The Spirit's going to Spirit. It's, yes. Yeah. Um, anyway, what was the question again? <laughs> just oh, walk so, through the service. Yeah, yeah, so they're all they're yeah, different, so for, but yeah. For ours, we begin... Um, almost always begin with just silence, just kind of centering and being there, listening to the sounds, being just just present in where we are in this cathedral of the trees, you know. Um, there's actually a church in Toronto called Cathedral of the Trees. Mm. Um, and um, listening. So today we were kind of in this um, ecotone in between the, in be- like a little, that little place, um, the, the college is here and the highway's here, you know, and the lots of trees and squirrels and um, wildish in here. So it's this little egotone between the village and the wild. And so listening to the cars and the dogs and the horses go by. And, um, and then there's usually some kind of invocation of the watershed, and that's where we honor the peoples as well as the creatures. And so we'll name some specific creatures and, and trees and mountains. And they are already praising God, you know? So it's not like we're inviting <laughs> right. them to praise with us. It's like we are... We're always like the church. Yeah. <laughs> it's always going on. Yeah. <laughs> we're like, we're, we're joining them. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and so acknowledging that. Yeah. And, um, and then there's usually um, some kind of song. Some, pl- some churches have drums, you know? Um, we have, when I was in Ojai, we had a woman who was, had a violin, and so mm. she would lead singing. I don't sing, so when I brought a, you know, uh, there was another person in our church, John Slade, who wrote a beautiful song called God on the Inside, God on the Outside. Mm. And I brought a, a recording of that in honor of him who he, he, he was killed in a car accident a year and a half ago. Mm. So just hearing his name was a blessing, or his voice was a blessing today. Mm. And um, and then there's usually, for me, I'll have some kind of, um, I call it an invitation. So today I was talking about conversation, and, um, and then there will be scriptures kind of woven into that, and stories, and usually poems. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, sometimes we'll have responsive readings, and sometimes there's, there's some something printed so that we can do responsive reading. Sometimes I'll bring things with, and hand out to people. Sometimes I won't have any of that, and I'll just kind of um, offer an invitation for the, for the wandering. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's always, you know, like certain spiritual practices embedded in that, like, um, you know, crossing a threshold. When you find mm. a threshold, um, 
that makes you intentional about I'm going to really open up, um, let go of my agenda, let go of my thoughts of what this should be, and step into a more enchanted relationship and open my imagination and just kind of naming that too, that imagination's like this, oh, that's only in your imagination. It's like this, this throwaway thing when it's really a core part of who we are as humans and yeah. our role in the world, really. Yeah. And, um, you know, allowing yourself to be drawn to something and trusting that and not second-guessing that, just kind of going with it. And then exploring this conversation of this sacred reciprocity mm. or this, you know, this, this reality that Christ is in me and in this tree and there's something real about it. And then mm -hmm. recognizing that in, if, you, if, you, if you have that lens and then you re-look at the scripture and stories throughout both testaments, almost every single spiritual leader at a pivotal time of their leadership was sent into the wilderness. Mm -hmm. And we preachers tend to metaphorize that. Right. And turning into dark night of soul and whatever, right. which it isn't not that. Right, right. <laughs> but it is also, I kept wondering, but this actual wilderness, like, like what, what would happen? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Why, you know, when, when uh, Jesus was sent out for 40 days and the animals and angels, mm -hmm. you know, took care of him, like, I think he was sent, what if he was sent out not to be because it was like this dangerous, scary place, but what if he needed that support of the yeah. wilderness? It wasn't punishment. It wasn't punishment. And yeah. in the Old Testament, the word wilderness, midbar, means speaking. Mm. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Man, it's the best nerd podcast ever. I know. <laughs> I love a real nerd voice yeah. for this. But, but midbar, you know, it's a, it's a derivative of debar, which is, in midbar is the, the organ that speaks. Mm. And so walking, going into wilderness, that, that encounter with the burning bush, going up to the mountain to pray, is not right. just like a quiet, pretty place. Right. That there's some actual encounter with the holy mm. that happens in the wilderness, and we've, we've been disconnected from that reality. Mm. And so to reclaim that and to really live deeply into that is really the core of um, the wild church mm. movement. So it's that contemplative piece, but it's also a response to the climate crisis. It's also a yeah. response to the ecological disasters that we're all like floored by. Yeah. But it gives you a way to fall in love with your own, with the creatures, with the butterflies, with the, with the grasses, you know, that you on a farm grew up that way, yeah. but most people are disconnected. And yeah. so it's like really, f you don't protect what you don't love. Yeah. You know, and so those years as an activist to like, all right, now another big campaign. Let's raise more money to get to get people to make this move. You know, this is to get rid of plastic bags. And now we're going to go for, you know, whatever. Don't eat meat. Like whatever. Like instead of pushing people every single step of the way, instead deal with the underlying value mm -hmm. system and help them establish a loving relationship with with and an interrelated relationship with all that is. Yeah. That is true. Right. Yeah. It's not that we're creating something new, it's just removing barriers. Yeah. We so. keep hearing about this restoring or restory. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. was it Gary that said that mm -hmm. this morning. And I feel like that's like the difference between the act like the activism work which we need. Right. And that change of heart right. and changing the actual narrative of our lives 
individually and collectively. And we've been talking about that restoring as restoration. That and there's a story in um, and this is another pivotal story for me in uh, Robert McFarland's book Landmarks. Um, he talks about this land in Scotland that's a bog. And so a bog had developed this language around it that is nothing land, it's like wasteland. And so a, um, a um, wind farm was coming in and they were, these developers wanted to just, just take over this bog land. Well, that sounds good, right? But the people in the land were like, no, this is our, this is our town, we don't want that. But, but they were dealing with this story of wasteland and nothing mm-hmm. that almost invited it. It's like there's this energy about it or something. And so these activists spent two years literally as an activist campaign restoring the land. Uh-huh. And so like they had people go out to trees that were meaningful, dig up old songs that, that their parents or grandparents sang about particular areas, or wrote new poems, and started this whole thing for two years, and they beat it. Wow. They actually, then people were remi- reminded of their belonging yeah. and their um, relationship with this land. And they were able to, then people, you know, there's a city town hall and everyone came. Everyone came. You right. Know? So it actually, restoring was literally what restored that land yeah. or saved it. Yeah. Naming that which had been forgotten. Again, this, yeah. I just, I, I'm yeah. sorry. I, I don't mean to no, keep coming back, but just naming things for what they are yeah. and naming them beyond their usefulness to us, yes. naming them beyond a resource to be exploited, um, yeah. which is, which is the work of, it is the work of pastors and churches. Yes. It is the work of scientists and it's the work of poets. Amen. It's the work that we all share together to name a thing for what it is. I'm sorry. I, like I said, I don't mean to be no, just going back to it. No, preach it. There it is again. Yeah. <laughs> So true. And language is not just descriptive, it's prescriptive. And so, you know, Robin Wall Kimmer had an article recently about, like, we need a new pronoun for nature because it-ing it, uh, it-ing it keeps it at that uh, resource level. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so, and my friend who's an eco-theologian, um, also patriarchies in this whole mix, you know, so I just tend to call things he, you know, mm-hmm. and she's helped me to shift that. Like, how do we know it's a he? Yeah. Why not? Why not call her a she? And, yeah. And it's funny because people they. go, <laughs> or they, yeah. people go, oh, how do you know that's a, a female bird or whatever? And I'm like, well, how'd you know it wasn't? Right. So why didn't you ask me when I called him he? So it's interesting. Just our language is yeah. so powerful. Yeah. I remember thinking that studying and studying Greek and Latin, and there's always this there's this category of neuter, and I was like, what? which is always translated as it, it's always it, right? Yeah, right. right. And I'm like, I I bet there's more to it than just yeah. It's not just neuter. It, there is something that is lost when we name right. something an it. Right. We haven't described it in its fullness right. and its reality yet. Right. Um, and so yeah, I think it's so you're right. Well, think language. about you know you call your mom an it like. No. We would never Not do that to long. people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You want dinner? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, we don't call children it's. You know, no. we no. do that's abuse. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And yet we just like all the time yeah. have no problem. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it is our norm. Yeah. Yeah. So there. So just to say that that there, there is a um, there's the contemplative, but there's also the action. Yes. Yeah. You know, so it's like what do you, what are you going to do about that mm-hmm. and. Um, so churches all have different responses to that, but it is also rooted in the action and 
this is actually something we can do, not just changing the, you know, sort of the soft story of changing the relationship, but that in that relationship, in that change relationship, then you have more energy yeah. to step up for your own, you know, watershed lands. Yeah. yeah. So that's beautiful. Well, you've given us so much to think about and feel um, engaged in both the processes of lament and also processes of hope. And we always like to end our conversations with asking our conversation partners um, what gives you hope. And we often talk about not hope in a way that is apart from lament and from Mm -hmm. struggle, but that hope that actually takes us through it. so you've already given me a lot of answers to this yeah. question already, but is there <laughs> it's kind something of integrated? Yeah, so which is beautiful. But um, is there something well, that you want to? Something that jumped to my mind was um, we were talking last week with this whole group of pastors. Like, there's usually one sermon, you know, that most pastors preach their whole life, and yeah. like <laughs> you sort of circle around it your whole life. And mine True. is always yeah, <laughs> and mine has always been basically the Paschal mystery, you know, the the life, death, life, and. Since doing this work, um, deepening into the reality that it's not linear, like I know this with my brain, but now I'm like know it with my body. That light, you know, you look at any landscape, these beautiful trees out the window, this that field is 50% dead. Mm. It's always in a cycle of. Mm-hmm composting and re-life and renewing life and becoming something new and it it, it's just given me hope that that even like all of the challenges we face even even the climate crisis is is involved in it's like the death that we hate Mm -hmm. that's part of the renewal Mm -hmm. and it's not to say you know then it's okay or we can like ignore it or it isn't okay. Like death isn't okay. My uncle is dying today, mm-hmm. and and it's not it's not okay. But it's not not okay. There's something about just accepting on a deep level that that death is just part of love. That death mm. is just part of life. And and really deepening into that and experiencing it and uh, it gives me hope that the story is way bigger than than what we're looking at. We're part of something much larger. Wow, that also will preach. <laughs> thank you so much, Victoria, for taking sure. time. And thank also, you thank you for convening the conversations around the Wild Church Movement um, and sharing those stories. And if our listeners are interested in Wild Church, will you tell them where they can find yeah, things? Yeah, wildchurchnetwork.com. Excellent. <laughs> and if they want to find your work and writing, or do you have any, um, anything else you want? Well, any other? There's a couple more. My my. Um, my main job is with a bigger kind of network called the Sacred Ground Initiative that's Christian and other faiths and non-faiths, you know, conservationists and indigenous peoples and all kinds of, anyone who's doing um, ecological work or with a, with a spiritual um, connection with the land itself or doing spiritual work with an ecological connection with the land. Um, and then I also there's a training program called Seminary of the Wild that's launching this summer. That's seminaryofthewild.com. The other word is sacredgroundinitiative.com. So, Perfect. 
And we'll have those in the show notes yep. as well. Cool. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank so, you. It's been a joy to have you. Thank you for being here. Thanks so much. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we invite you to download the rest of our Ecotones of the Spirit series and to subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date on the conversations happening around food, health, and ecological well-being. Thanks for listening to the Food and Faith Podcast. Our collaborators are Wake Forest University School of Divinity, Plainsong Farm, Garden Church, and the Keep and Till. And the music is by Paul Beamer. Follow along and keep up to date with the podcast on Facebook at Food and Faith Podcast, Twitter and Instagram at Food and Faith Pod, or on our website at foodandfaithpodcast.org.